Well, I'd uh, encourage you to uh, t- turn back in your Bibles to uh, the second of those uh, two readings that we had just a moment ago, uh, page 972, Matthew chapter 8. Uh, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that uh, we've been looking through Matthew 8, and this is the third in our series, looking at the real Jesus. Matthew 8, uh, and we're looking at verses 18 to 27 this, this evening. Uh, it is one thing to start something, uh, it's quite another to finish it. How many times have uh, people here started a diet only for it to end in an irresistible urge for a chocolate fest? Uh, I arrived back from the, um, from the summer holidays determined to get fit. And so the first Monday back, I uh, got my daughter's skipping rope. This was good for me, don't laugh. And I did 10 minutes skipping, which is quite hard to do, and 25 sit-ups. Uh, the skipping rope hasn't been used since and I haven't done the sit-ups either. It is one thing to start well, it's quite another to keep going. And that is as true in the Christian life as it is in any other area of life. Uh, Sadly, I can think of a number of people who've been keen Christians, but who now are nowhere Christianly. And I guess others around the room can think of people like that too. Now Jesus knew that, and that's why he spoke as he did in our passage today. See, in Matthew chapter 8 and verses 18 to 22, Jesus met two men. Two men who were very different from each other, but two men who wanted to follow him. The first was a lawyer, and he said to Jesus in verse 19, I will follow you wherever you go. The second also wanted to follow Jesus, but verse 21, only after burying his father. And what has struck me most as I've studied this week is the way Jesus responded to these two men. You see, we've called this series in chapter 8 of Matthew the real Jesus. Because so many people today have constructed a Jesus in their minds that bears no resemblance to the real Jesus, the Jesus of the New Testament. People, for example, follow a Jesus who would never talk of hell, and yet we saw him doing that last week. Others have created a Jesus in their minds who would never accept them because they're too bad. But if you were here two weeks ago, we saw that the real Jesus is willing to accept the most spiritually undesirable person, a leper, at the time. See, we build into our minds pictures of Jesus that just aren't true. Well, let me ask you this evening. Would the Jesus you follow speak the words that are before us? Let's see them again. Verse 19. A teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Would the Jesus you follow answer this man like this? Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Isn't that very striking? Another disciple, verse 21, said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Would the Jesus you know answer this way? Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, now look, in order to understand what's going on here, let's just stop here and have a look at the way this part of Mark's uh, chapter 8 is constructed. You see, I I found this quite fascinating to understand this passage. Following these two conversations are two events that we're meant to link together. As Jesus says to the teacher of the law in verse 20, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, what follows is a story where Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. See, in verse 24, we see him asleep on a boat. So verse 23, got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so the waves swept over the boat. And here's the key moment, but Jesus was sleeping. 
The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, so he has to kip down in a boat. See the point? And following Jesus' words in verse 22, let the dead bury their own dead, in the next story, Matthew takes us to a place of the dead, where Jesus encounters men who lived in a graveyard. Look at verse 28. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men were coming from where? From the tombs. Now, now, do you see the way Matthew's Gospel is constructed? Uh, uh, that we're meant to understand the two conversations in verses 18 to 22 by looking at the two events in verses 23 to 27 and then 28 to 34. And for that reason, we'll look at these two men individually, one this week and one next week. So having seen the way Matthew's Gospel is constructed, let's look again at this first character, the lawyer. See, if I've, as I've thought about this man in verse 19 this week, I've come to admire him. See, he says, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I admire him because he's deferential towards Jesus. He calls Jesus a teacher, even though he was a teacher of the law himself. There's no air of superiority here. And I admire him because he's enthusiastic. You see, verse 19, I'll follow you wherever you go. Aren't people like that good to be around? In any walk of life, don't don't you like being around people who are positive? There's nothing worse than being around Eeyores, you know? Uh, you know, people who, everything's a problem. It's very hard being around people like that. This bloke wouldn't have been like, he was enthusiastic. I'll follow you wherever you go. It's as if he says, Jesus, I've been watching you, listening to you, seeing the things you do, the way you relate to people. I've heard your preaching. I'm inspired. I'm yours. See, here is someone who was sold out and wholehearted and totally committed. And you'd think to that sort of person, Jesus would say, great, come on board. We can do with all the help we can get. And that's why Jesus' response is such a surprise in verse 20. Jesus replied, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, why would Jesus respond like that? And would he really reply like that today? See, I was quite struck uh, in the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the church uh, newspaper um, uh, uh, earlier uh, last month. This uh, article on the back about church attendance figures. Did any of you see it? Uh, the, the title here is Pulling Out of the Nosedive. It tells that in the seven-year period from 1998 to 2005, 1998 to 2005, half a million people stopped going to church in this country. Half a million. Now, that was better than the previous nine years. It was a whole one million who stopped going in the nine years before that. And that's why this report talks about us coming out of the nosedive. Church attendance figures are not declining as fast as they were. We're coming out of the nosedive. But at this rate, we're still going to crash, just not as quickly as before, that's all. It's not really great reading. Now you see, you read that and you think, if Jesus had met this man today in Britain with church attendance figures as they are, surely he wouldn't have responded like this. That's how we think, isn't it? And that's why when we meet people who are just vaguely interested in following Jesus, let alone somebody who says, I'll follow you wherever you go, we rarely do what Jesus did here. We think we need everyone we can get. doesn't matter what you... If you're interested, you come. But look, the real Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. And in whatever century we live, whatever country and whatever the church attendance figures, the real Jesus is going to say to people, if you're going to follow me, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? Do think about it before you uh, jump in with me. 
See, Jesus wants his disciples to be ready to follow him for the rest of their lives. It is easy for people to start well and quite another thing to keep going. Jesus had been speaking to crowds of people. We see that in chapter 8, verse 1. And again in verse 18, just in our section, hordes of people were following him. And we know that a crowd draws a crowd. Uh, We know how easy it is to be swept along by a crowd, to be caught up in the moment. If you've been to great concerts, you know, it's great, you suddenly get caught up in it. No doubt Jesus was an amazing speaker. And so it would have been very easy to have heard his teaching and be ready to give yourself wholeheartedly to him, swept along by the enthusiasm of a strong, well, strong-minded friends perhaps. But that commitment comes crashing down in the cold light of day when it gets tough, doesn't it? if it's just being swept along by the crowd. See, there have been many people who've come to realise that they're only following Jesus because their friends follow him. Uh, Let me speak to the students here, if I may. And especially those of you who've just arrived in Sheffield. Here you are, away from home, away from your home church, away from the support of your youth group if you went to church there. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of you right now are thinking through what you believe. See, away from all your support networks, you've realised that uh, up to now you followed Jesus because those around you followed him. And now, here you are in Sheffield on your own and you're wondering if you really believe it anymore. It's great you've come today, but I bet it's a scary time for you. But be encouraged, this actually could be the making of you. I've heard people when I've asked them how they became Christians, maybe they became Christians as little boys or girls at home maybe as uh, as teenagers, and then they've said time and again, it was at university when they had to think through things for themselves that they really started to, really knew what they'd done in that time of commitment. Started to serve Jesus unreservedly. It could be the making of you. See, here Jesus says, before you follow, do you know what it means to follow me? That's why we run the the Open to Question course. Dave will say more about that in our uh, our notices a bit later on. We run the Open to Question course for people who are perhaps thinking it through. You might have been to church for years. might have been brought up in a church family. Now you're at Sheffield Sheffield University or or at Hallam and you're saying, I'm I'm not sure I know what I believe. Come along to Open to Questions. And let me speak to those of you in the youth group. Yeah, it's terrific you're here. We love having you here. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever owned Christ for yourself? And I ask that, as I ask that question, please resist the temptation to phone a friend or to ask the audience. Have you owned Christ for yourself or do you follow Christ because your friends follow him or because your parents do? Now, it's great you come along. You may not be ready to answer that question yet, but, but it's great to even face up to that, to think through the question. Am I following Jesus for myself or, or am I following him just because others do? Now, it's great to answer, ask that question for yourself. Uh, to know whether you are a disciple of Jesus or or whether you've just got a borrowed faith, if I can put it that way. And of course, it's not just the youth group or the students that need to ask that question, is it? Church go, have you been attending church for years but don't have a real relationship with Jesus? You come along, you're swept along by... It's easy in a church this size to be swept along by the crowd. Well, that may well be what was going on with this man. He'd heard Jesus speak to this huge crowd and he'd been swept along by the crowd and the emotion of the moment. Maybe that's why he was so ready to say, I'll follow you wherever you go. This is great. The music's terrific. Well, I don't know. Maybe that wasn't it. Maybe Jesus responded as he did because, this, uh, because the kind of man this man was. 
Perhaps this lawyer was the kind of person I was when I first became a Christian. I thought I could take on the world when I first became a Christian. Do you remember that feeling if you've been a Christian for years? Take on the world, just me and Jesus, that's all we need. We can take on the world together. Don't need anyone else. Now in some respects, I wish I had that same feeling now. Uh, much better that, that, that readiness to be completely committed to, to Christ than, than the half-heartedness that is the death of the church in this land. That's awful. We need a good dose of wholehearted commitment. Uh, but at the same time, I, I do look back and see the danger of it now as well. For me, there was this tendency to brag about my wholehearted to commitment and to look down on others. I'm flat out for Jesus, and unlike them. If only they were as committed as me. Do you see If ever you've been in that situation, does that ring bells with you? That's not good at all. To people like that, Jesus said, pride comes before a fall. And so to anyone who would say, I'm ready to go anywhere for you, Jesus, Jesus says, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? Do you know what it means to follow me for the long haul? See, to this man, it's as if Jesus says, of course it's exciting following me. The miracle, setting people free, living for something worthwhile, having a mission in life, it's exciting. A former boss of mine, his name's Richard Buse, he said to himself, probably still does, every morning when he wakes up, he says this, another exciting adventure on planet Earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's exciting being a follower of Jesus. But Jesus says as we set out, do you realise that I have often have nowhere to lay my head Nowhere to sleep. I don't have a pillow at night or a bed. And if you follow me, it'll be the same for you. It's tough following Jesus. The Christian life is much harder than we anticipate. It's terrific. The benefits far outweigh everything, but it is hard. Uh, Overseas mission is, is, is a classic example. I listened to Don Carson on this. A prospective overseas missionary may anticipate the mission field with a romantic, even sentimental notion of service. Standing under the shade of a palm tree, preaching powerfully to vast throngs of men and women hanging on your every word, in time developing national leaders who are profoundly grateful for your leadership, planting churches that are evangelistic and spiritually mature, reality may prove disappointingly different. The missionary may arrive in a country and may find the food unpalatable and the the flies prolific the ordinary administrative details of life shopping, going to the bank securing a driver's licence, repairing a puncture all take three or four times as much energy and time as, as at home a year or two is devoted to gaining a still rudimentary knowledge of the new language nationals may have very mixed feelings about your presence and the personality conflicts you face at home are magnified under the stress of an alien culture that's what he says, he ends like this You may be assigned for lengthy periods of time not to preaching to great crowds but to bookkeeping or running a school for missionary children. It's very easy to be enthusiastic. But in reality, the Christian life is hard. Uh, So when you say to Jesus, verse 19, I'll follow you wherever you go, he says, do you know what you're saying? I see the same with budding preachers. Preachers who, who preach one or two sermons now want to be preachers for the rest of their lives. And that's a great thing to want, isn't it? But it's very easy to preach one or two sermons and very easy at that point to be very excited about preaching. It's quite another thing to be preaching every week, to be grappling with the Bible, to have to understand it, to have a deadline ticking, ticking down each week. My wife says she'd never want to do it. She says it's like like having an exam every week. 
And then there's the task of making it engaging and relevant. It's a great privilege to preach and teach. It's not easy. You preach your heart out on Sunday night and when you sit down at your desk on Monday morning there's a blank piece of paper in front of you and the clock is ticking towards next Sunday's deadline when you need to feed people again. It's not easy. I don't know why I'm doing it really. (laughs) That is true of the Christian life and Jesus says, I know you're enthusiastic and keen and willing and it's great that you are and he doesn't want to dampen your enthusiasm. That's not the point here. He says, realise there'll be no rest for you in Christian service. At times there'll be no rest. You will be spent. Uh, We've uh, got a conference coming up called the the Forward Conference and uh, we've invited uh, the author of this book, Peter Brain, to come over uh, and uh, to speak to us, to address us. It's called Going the Distance. Uh, Some of us in the staff team have been uh, reading this through. We haven't finished it yet, but we're on our way. We can't quite manage to go the distance with the book, but anyway, we're, we're trying. Uh, but he writes this on the back. Christian ministry is not a sprint, it's a marathon, a long-term race, requiring not just initial enthusiasm and ability, but staying power. Unfortunately, a growing number of Christian ministers don't seem to possess that staying power. Listen to this. 44% of all pastors who've been involved in ministry for more than 15 years suffer from burnout mental breakdown or serious illness. And that doesn't include those who fail to continue in active ministry for other reasons, such as immorality or loss of faith. And you don't have to be in Christian leadership to know that. Sadly, I know people, and I guess many of you know people, who, as I've already said, enthusiastically started the Christian life, but now who are nowhere with Jesus. And so in verse 20, Jesus is telling this man how it really is. Isn't it very, very kind of Jesus? Isn't it very honest of Jesus to tell us what it's really like? You see, if you're thinking about following Jesus, he says, before you start, know what it will cost you. Let me speak to Christian workers here. Now, in one sense, I hope anybody who's been a Christian more than five minutes sees themselves as a Christian worker. Well, let me speak to Christian workers here. Do you tell people what it's like to follow Jesus when you're talking to them? A few years ago, a young assistant minister who I know at a church in Glasgow was telling me that his boss taught him quite a lesson in this. he just preached and afterwards at the door a middle-aged woman said she wanted to follow Jesus Christ as a result of what he'd said. Great, he said, let's find a place where we can go and pray a prayer of commitment. And the senior pastor was right next to him and overheard the conversation and he whisked his assistant and the woman into his study. He sat them down and he said, before you pray anything, Let me tell you what you're letting yourself in for. That's authentic Christian ministry. That's what Jesus is doing here. Not to put him off, but just to say, do you know what you're letting yourself in for? Now, at this point, you will say, so how will anyone follow Jesus Christ if it's that tough following him? Won't you? Well, of course, that's the point of uh, verses 23 to 27. That's why Matthew has put this story next. See, as we look at this story uh, of Jesus calming the storm, a story we know so well, let's think of it, why it's here. Can you remember the most demanding day you've ever had? Uh, You know, a day when you didn't stop from the moment you got up to the moment you went to bed. For the employed here, a day of intense meetings, perhaps. Or or, or a a day of heavy manual work, if that's the sort of work you do. For the mums... A day when the children didn't stop whining and moaning and demanding. I know you're saying they always do that. Well, you know how hard it is. For the students, a really heavy day. You know, a day when you had two or even three lectures. A really... (laughs) Sorry. 
Sorry, we're supposed to be encouraging them to come, aren't we? Sorry. You know, days uh, when you've been so busy, you could fall asleep just about anywhere and in any conditions. None of us will have had a day as demanding as this day that Jesus was having in Matthew chapter 8. It began way back in chapter 5 when Jesus preached the greatest sermon in the history of the world. It was said that uh, people would walk 20 miles to hear George Whitfield preach in the 18th century. And in the 5th century, when John Chrysostom preached, no wagon or cart was allowed to move in an adjacent street in case some of his words were lost. They hung on his every word. But all such sermons were just mumblings and rubbish compared to this this sermon that Jesus preached that day. His sermon in chapters 5 to 7 set the world's ethical agenda until the end of the world. I wonder how many hours that sermon lasted. It's the longest recorded sermon in the New Testament. This sermon that we have in summary in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, who knows how long it lasted and how physically demanding it must have been to preach and project without a PA system to such a large crowd, much bigger than a crowd like this, outdoors. But even when he preached it, that wasn't the end of the day for Jesus. As he headed home to Peter's house, Jesus was followed by large crowds of people. We see that in chapter 8 verse 1. And then in, in, the, in the bit after that, he, he healed a man of leprosy. And then, as we saw last week, he healed the centurion's servant. And then he got to Peter's house and he healed Peter's mother-in-law in uh, verses 14 and 15. I'm never quite sure, you know, mother-in-law jokes and all that, whether Peter's very happy about that, but that's another thing altogether. Anyway, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. She gave him something to eat. And then more people arrived at the door to receive his care and his healing. Demons were driven out, diseases cured, verse 16. And dealing with the needs of so many people would have been completely overwhelming for anyone. And as we've seen over these last two weeks, the way Jesus dealt with people, he didn't just sort of lay his hands on them and say, you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. Everyone, he spent time with them, talking to them, working things through with them. And yet Jesus did all this healing and still he went on giving and caring and serving and on and on and giving and giving and caring relentlessly. And finally in verse 18 he could go no longer. He was spent. How many hours had he put the needs of others before his own? And he just had to retreat to get some rest. And that's verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. He couldn't go on any longer. I'm exhausted. And finally, in verse 23, he got into a boat to cross to the other side of the lake. And is it any wonder, verse 24, that Jesus fell asleep in the boat? He was exhausted. And is it any wonder that after such a demanding day, he continued to sleep even when a huge storm blew up? He was exhausted. He slept like a baby. You've seen babies, so you can't wake them for anything, can you? Pick them up, throw them around, they don't wake up. He was exhausted. Well, I don't actually throw them around, you understand it. <laughs> and of course, that is exactly what he'd been saying to this lawyer. Follow me and it will be hard work. Verse 20, Jesus replied, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. The things that I have created, he says, have homes, places to sleep. A fox goes to sleep in its hole at night. Birds go to their nest to sleep at night. But the Son of Man, the one who created all these things, has nowhere to lay his head. Isn't that very striking? So if it's that demanding, why follow him? Well, because of who he is. 
So you may be saying, I I don't know whether I can survive the heavy heavy weather that comes my way. That's the point of this story in verses 23 to 25. Clearly those who follow Jesus don't avoid the storm. They're right in it. The disciples were terrified for their lives, verse 25. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. These were hardened fishermen. They'd been on this this, uh, lake before. They'd seen these sort of storms before. None as bad as this. They were sure it was curtains for them. And verse 26, Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. What a remarkable response. I hate travelling by boat. I always get so sick as a dog when I travel by boat. I would do anything when I've been on a ship and it's been a bit rocky to do this, to stand up and to still a storm and to say, be still. I can't do it. Uh, Obvious point. I can't even do it in the bath. (laughs) I've tried. Next time you have a bath, you try it. Put your ducks and your boats in the bath. No, I don't have those either. Um, but Dave does uh, so put your, uh, your ducks and your boats in the bath slot the water back and forward you have to be a bit careful here because if you do it too vigorously it goes over the edge which is a bit of a nuisance and then as it's slopping back and forth stand up in the bath and command the bath water stop, be still if you try this at home may I suggest that you make sure that the lock is on the bathroom door it would be most embarrassing if someone walked in, you were commanding the bathwater to be still, wouldn't it? In fact, probably best if you were make sure there's no one in the house at all. Then you can really go for it. You and I can't still the bathwater, let alone the storm waters. But Jesus did. And verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now there's the question that this story asks us to answer. And when the Bible asks a question, it gives us the answer. It's great, isn't it? See the question, verse 27? What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. There's the question. How does the Bible answer the question? Well, keep your finger in in, uh, Matthew uh, uh, 8 and come back with me to our reading, uh, our first reading, Psalm 89. And with this, we almost come to a close. Psalm 89, page 597. We've got the question the Bible has asked. Who is this that can still the storm? The waves, the surging sea. As we turn to Psalm 89, we'll get the answer. Let me read from verse 5. And as I read, notice who it's talking about. I'll emphasise it so we get it. The heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness too in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all those who surround him. O Lord God Almighty, who's like you? You are mighty, O Lord, and your faithfulness surrounds you. Who's it talking about? The Lord God Almighty. And then what does it say, verse 9? You, Lord God Almighty, rule over the surging sea when its waves mount up you still them. It is the Lord God Almighty who stills the storm. Of course it is. Matthew chapter 8, verse 27. What kind of man is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Answer, he is the Lord God Almighty. And that is why I'll follow him. Even though it's tough. Even though following him at times I will be exhausted and I may not have somewhere to lay my head, I will follow him because he is none other than the creator of the universe, the Lord God Almighty. And it's only when I've got that that I will follow him even though it's tough. Even when there's nowhere to lay my head. Only when we grasp who he is will we keep going in the Christian life. 
Only then will we not just become another statistic, another person who started the Christian life but hasn't kept going. And that's why Jesus replied the way he did to the lawyer. When the lawyer said, verse 19, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He says, you've got to know how hard it's going to be. Do you know who I am? If you know who I am, you'll keep going. And as we take bread and wine this evening, and as we remember the other place that Jesus laid down his head, that will keep us going. John tells us that on the cross, Jesus laid down his head, same word, and dismissed his spirit. When you and I know that, we'll serve him and we'll go anywhere for him because he is the Lord God Almighty and because he gave his life for you and me. Well, let's uh, have a moment of silence in prayer. And then when there's been a short moment of silence, Sam Whiffin will lead us in our prayer time. Thank you, Sam.